Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, it's another great fall day here. Yes, it is. And uh, we're in the middle of sports. We are. We are. Just it's uh, kind of fun. It's fun. It's actually so much sports now. They're having like an NFL game every night. I yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and there, there are games being postponed. But, I mean, I think the big news coming out of the sports week is South Carolina won. I mean, hey, that know, was a good one. You know, Vandy gave a good old pounding to Vandy. They I, did. That, that's impressive, they man. Always, you Gamecocks, those guys yeah. are they're tough. My dad is a Vandy grad, so he hasn't spoken to me yet in a couple of days, but he'll he'll get over it. <laughs> get over it. Well, <laughs> Clemson rolls on, you know. And Clemson did great. Rolled over Miami. I love that. We got a great game this weekend. Gee was Georgia against Alabama. Alabama yeah. Man, I've been waiting for that one because Alabama looks a little vulnerable they do. on defense, don't they? Yeah, they do. It's going to be interesting uh, in the middle of the season too. That's a great. That's a great game. And the Braves are playing. They're doing well in the playoffs. Excellent. So Excellent. I know a lot I of Braves been, fans I, out there. Haven't been following them. Yeah, yeah, I love baseball though. I'll I'll definitely be. I'll yep. have to tune in now yep. that you said that because yep. yep. I have seen that. So a lot of sports going on. Boy, what a great fall! You know, everything got bottled up because of the, all the delays mm-hmm. and because of COVID. And now, boy, it's just you know wall to wall. Wall-to-wall sports. Not many fans, but lots of sports. So that's fun. And speaking of fun, John, we have the financial literacy test. Uh Uh-oh. Are you financially literate? Six questions, right? Six questions. We're going to find out right now today on the show here. We got got the test for you, and it's remarkable. You're going to be amazed how easy the questions are and how many people didn't get it. What percentage of adults did not get it? You want to stick around from that. It's... It really highlights the need for financial education in our country. Yes, I agree. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting article. Yeah, and then we're going to follow that up with a, a real positive article as well, Three Reasons Why 2020 May Be the Greatest Giving Year Ever. And this is from Kiplinger. And really surprising if you think about it. I mean, there's just so many um, unusual things this year that there's no way that you could predict. If it's you crazy. said you had a pandemic and the stock market was down, would you correlate giving increasing? No, I don't think so. So No, it, it was... Yeah, it's interesting uh, how things are, are playing out in 2020 on the giving front. So It really is, yeah. But we've been surprised at our church. I'm the treasurer of our church, and you know we thought it was going to be way down in March, and then it picked back up once people started yeah. giving online. And yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a surprising, and it's a great turn of events. So, yeah, that's a very interesting article. Look forward to seeing that. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marvin. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 25 years' experience in providing financial planning and and uh, investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website. It's moneymd.net. Uh, you can go on the website and listen to the podcast. You can obviously down, download the podcast as well. Uh, iTunes and uh, all the other sources that are out there. We also have a lot of really good tools on the website. If you've never been out there, go check it out. We have a retirement calculator, some good college information out there. So we have some forms that folks are using. And uh, we also have a prescription of the week on our Facebook page, which is MoneyMD. And we have hundreds of shows out there. So go back and listen to some of the old shows. You can sort you can sort them by by or you can listen, look at all the uh, titles and, and look at all the subjects that have been covered. I got couple guys out there that are listening back to all the old shows oh, yeah, and yeah. um yeah i'm amazed how far they've been gone back and um 
Yeah, a lot of information out there. We really we we yep. dish out a lot of stuff here. So so go back and listen to those. We're going to start off here, John, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, FinSum is the uh, source and. Um, we, you know, we don't get real caught up in statistics because things, you know, the right. historical markets don't repeat themselves exactly. But this is an interesting stat. Over the last three months, the Invesco S&P 500 equal weight ETF has outperformed the S&P 500 ETF, which is uh, it's more of um, market weighted. Market weighted. Yeah. And it's uh, outperformed 13 percent to 10 percent. And the reason why that uh, is hi- highlighted here is it's a huge cut of stocks are rising, not just the largest stock- stocks. So there's more stocks that are participating in the increase. And so the last 10 days has seen the biggest jump with advancing stocks outnumbering declining decliners two to one. And this is called the breadth thrust. And it's very rare. And it's also very bullish. It's happened only 29 times since 1990. Yep. And 96% of the time, the market is higher 12 months later. Yeah, so that's a real positive <laughs> it is indicator. Yeah. You know, so the breadth of the market just means that that all of the market's going up, not just like Five the, stocks. the fang stocks, you know, <laughs> yeah. that everybody's been talking about. Yeah. It's, it's the market as a as a you know the whole breadth of the market is increasing, and it's rare that that happen. It happens like that. Normally, yeah. there's like the top ten percent, you know, that are really just, there's a handful of stocks that are really driving the market. Now we got got all of them. Yeah, ninety six percent of the time, it's higher twelve months later. I mean, I will say that you know the odds of the market historically seventy five percent of the time they're up. Right, right. Right. So the odds are in your favor. If they weren't in your favor, people wouldn't invest in the markets. Now we're not trying to predict the next year here, but it's just an interesting stat. Something we can kind of talk about. Yeah, yeah. Something fun to look at and just say, hey, you know, it's a, it's an indication that things could be really good next year. You mm-hmm. never know. You yep. never know. But uh, fun fact of the week. There you go. All right. That leads up to our first topic here. And that is, um, our, uh, are you financially literate? Mm. John, are you smarter than a fifth grader? That's <laughs> yeah. the question here. Man, those questions are tough. <laughs> Some of them are. I guarantee you. Some of those fifth grader <laughs> questions are tough. Yeah. But, these is some of them are not tough. No, these okay. Aren't and that's the no. sad thing here is you know, there's a lot of people who don't. So yeah, are you the question is are you financially astute? You know, I mean, well then try taking our financial literacy test. We got six questions here. We're getting ready to dole out to you about interest rates, inflation, and diversification. And John, you know, the results of the study around these six basic financial questions really is kind of depressing because I mean it shows the depth of the financial illiteracy in our country. And why we see some of the decisions that are being made with debt and poor finances by our population at large, it's kind of shocking. Yes, it is. You know, and um, yeah, these first three questions are very simple questions that, yes, even a fifth grader should know these questions, (laughs) these first three. And despite the elementary nature of these first three questions, John, only a third of adults from 38 to age 64 were able to answer these first three questions correctly a third a third i mean one out of three that's shocking <clears throat> it when is. you hear these questions yep. it's shocking um it's just hard to believe and among millennials john here's another sad fact among among younger folks only 16 percent, or one out of six millennials could answer these first three elementary questions correctly um you know and that's a disgrace to our education system our parents you know the poor indication of of kind of our country's financial future if we don't educate folks on on the basics of finances. And this is why we're also headed into deep trouble with government debt someday, you know, since our general population doesn't understand the basic consequences 
of these poor financial decisions that are being made at the federal level. I'm sure our politicians fall into these categories as well. <laughs> I'm afraid they do. That's the <laughs> they, sad thing. Yeah, and those uh, results are sobering enough. But what's even more striking is there's a disconnect between these low scores and investors' self-perception. Uh, more than 71% of older adults rate themselves as having high financial knowledge. And um, that's com a comparable percentage among millennials, about 62% they ha say they have high financial knowledge. And unfortunately, this study really underscores the harsh truth that people deceive themselves and as a whole are very financially illiterate. So the complete results just came out in a, a study um, that was done uh, you know, recently by George uh, Washington University. So people think they understand things more than they really do. Yeah, they're, they're a little overconfident when it comes to their financial literacy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so here are three basic questions for which the researchers reported shockingly low levels of, of financial literacy. And they were devised a decade ago um, by a professor at Wharton School of, of University, uh, University of Pennsylvania. And, you know, they were widely used since then by many researchers and now referred to as kind of the big three financial literacy questions. And these are just very elementary questions here. I mean, so you got to get these first right. We know that, OK, the people out there listening, you're listening to Money MD. You're, you're going to nail all six of these. Yeah, OK, right. But the first three are really, really simple. So here's the first one, okay? Suppose you had $100 in your savings account, and the interest rate was 2% per year. 2% mm. on $100, right? After five years, how much do you think you'd have in the account if you let your money grow, okay? And we got three answers here. You just pick A, B, or C, all right? First one is more than $102. Started with 100 or you can have more than $102 after five years at 2%. Second one, exactly $102. 2% mm -hmm. interest, five years, or you can have exactly $102, or C, less than $102. Yeah, this it has to be a trick question here, right? <laughs> you would think, <laughs> are you going to have A, more than 102 B, exactly 102 or C, less than 102 if you get 2% per year for five years? Well, of course, John, the answer is more than $102. Since you have five years of 2%, yeah, that's, I mean, that would compound to $110.40. Yeah, I'm sure everybody got that one. Everybody <laughs> got that one. Had to. Yeah, and the second one is, is, is similarly. I think it's you know easy. Uh, imagine that the interest rate on your savings account was 1% a year and inflation was 2% per year. So after one year, would you be able to buy more with the money in this account? Would you be able to buy exactly the same? Or would you be able to buy less than today? So 1% savings rate and 2% inflation. So, so what would that inflation's higher than the savings rate. That's right. That's right. So, of course, it's less than today because inflation is devaluing the money faster than the 1% interest rate is growing. So that's, yeah, I yeah, mean. So it's C, less than today. That's yeah. right. C. I mean, that's, yeah, it's it's hard to believe nobody, I mean, anybody would not know that. Inflation's yeah. higher than the interest rate. You're so, going to lose buying power. So remember, only a third of people got these three right, all three right, of them. Right, right. So that's the first two. All right. The last of the simple three that we have here is um, buying a single company stock usually provides a safer return than a stock mutual fund. Okay, so that statement, if you buy one company stock, is that usually safer than buying a stock mutual fund? 
Which has, you know, hundreds or thousands Hundred, of stocks. Right, yes. exactly. So A would, well, we weren't supposed to tell them that. Yeah. You tip the hand there. But A is this statement's true. B, the statement is false. Or C, it's not possible to determine the answer from that information. All right, well, okay. So you got one stock versus hundreds of stocks in a stock mutual fund, as you, as you referenced. So actually, obviously, the answer is it's false. Since mutual funds, they buy more than one stock. And they lower your risk through diversification. Our, our listeners would have gotten that. I they mean, would they, have they, they knew the ab- answer. To absolutely. That. I mean, those are three very basic questions, <laughs> yep. you know, and since you're money and D listeners, no doubt that you answered all three of those questions. Um, but can you answer the following three questions as well? Um, because uh, re- remember, those first three questions, by the way, only a third of adults got those mm-hmm. right. That's It's shocking to believe. Okay. So, but the following three questions are going to be a little bit tougher. Um, but they're still basic financial knowledge. And only 7% of adults, 38 to 64, answered all six of the questions correctly. Yeah. And only 3%, 3% of the millennials got all six questions right. Wow. So, yeah, there we go. So these additional questions are, um, all right, here's the first one. If interest rates rise, what will typically happen to bond prices and values? If interest rates go up, and you own a bond, is that value going to go up or down? That's the question. Um, so A, the answer A is they will rise. <clears throat> so your price will go up if interest rates go up. B will be the price will fall. So if interest rates go up, the bond price will fall. And C, the answer is they will stay the same. There'll be no no, uh, no change. It'll stay the same. <clears throat> um, doesn't affect it. And then D, answer D is there's no relationship between bond prices and interest rates. Drum okay. roll, please. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the hardest question of all six, okay? So it, I can see some people might yeah. miss this one. Having said that, you know, you might be able to figure it out. All right. Well, the right answer here is that it, that bond prices work inversely with interest rates. And so if interest rates rise, then the bond price, the bond that you already own is going to be worth less since interest rates, higher interest rates mean that new bonds are going to have higher yields and they're being offered. That makes your old bond less attractive yes. and less valuable. Yep. So inverse. bond prices, go, if interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Yeah, that's so, the answer. Yeah. So B. B. That's yep. correct. <clears throat> All right. Here's another uh, tough one. Suppose you owe $1,000 on a loan and the interest rate you are charged is 20% per year, and that's compounded annually. And if you didn't pay anything off at this interest rate, how many years would it take for the amount that you owe to double? So- $1,000 on a loan and the interest rate you're charged is 20% per year. Compounded annually. Compounded every year. Yeah. So if you didn't pay anything off, how long would it take to double? The A is less than two years. B is at least two years, but less than five years. C is at least five years, but less than 10 years. And D is at least 10 years. So So think about that. 20% per year compound annually on a $1,000 loan. How many years does it take for it to double? Yep. And 20% per year, uh, you know, just got to do the math in your head. Is it two years? Yeah. Two to five? The compounding is the key here. And it would take it, it's basically B. It would take at least two years, but less than five years, because simple interest at 20% would double your your money in five years. But if you compound it, it's going to grow faster and it would double in about three and uh, uh, three quarters, you know, years. years. So, That's right. 
at 20%. So the answer is B. So that compounding is a key concept in finance. It is. It is. But even without knowing really what compounding does, you should you have could, figured out yeah. it's going to it's gonna double faster. Yep. Okay. That's all you need to know, you know, and then you know it's two to five years. So so that's, that's the second question. All right. Last question here. Um, okay. A 15-year mortgage typically requires higher monthly payments than a 30-year mortgage. But the total interest paid over the life of the loan will be less, okay? So a 15-year mortgage requires higher monthly payments than a 30-year mortgage. Now, everybody knows that's true. But the total interest paid over the life of the loan is going to be less, okay? Is that true or false? Pretty simple. Yeah, you got a 50% chance on yeah, this one. there you go. Are you going to pay more interest on a 15-year loan than a 30-year loan? Or are you going to pay less? That's really the question here. Um, they're saying you'll pay less on a 15-year loan. If so, if that's true or false, A or B. Certainly, I mean, everyone <clears throat> has got to get this one because it's true. Yes. It's yeah. true, right? The whole reason you'd get a 15-year mortgage is so that you save interest by paying uh, more on it um, and, you know, half as many years. So that means that because basically, the, 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 I mean, even if the interest rates were the same, you'd pay a lot less interest. But a 15-year mortgage usually carries a lower interest rate as well because it's lower risk to the to the lending institution. Yes. You're going to pay it back faster. So, I mean, it's shocking, John. Only 3% of millennials, only 7% of adults can answer all six of those questions. That means at least 93% of people couldn't answer those six questions. Mm. Ouch. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, there's several reasons to focus on how few are able to answer these questions correctly. I mean, the most important is that, you know, there is a direct casual, uh, there is a direct causal connection between literacy and reduced retirement preparedness and success. You know, and it's been shown empirically that, you know, such as in this study, um, you know, the authors of this recent report, you know, gave a few examples, including the widespread use among millennials of using kind of alternative financial services. Yeah, and alternative financial services includes title loans, payday loans, pawn shops, rent to own. I mean, if you do the the cost of borrowing, it's staggering. It's like 400% or more. Exactly. And, um, you know, these are defined as high cost borrowing methods, but people don't understand they're, they don't, you know, that alternative financial services it's a, it's a big deal. In 2018, a staggering 43% of millennials reported using at least one form of alternative financial services in the prior five years. So, gosh, if you're paying 300 or 400% interest, yeah, uh, you won't be able to have emergency funds. You won't be saving in retirement. I mean, it is that's catastrophic. Yeah, and that's surprising reliance on high-cost borrowing methods, you know, by millennials. Um, it becomes less surprising when you realize that um, they couldn't answer that fifth question correctly yeah. about compound interest, yeah. right? You know, um, just 32% of them can answer that question correctly. Only a third of them can answer it correctly about compound interest. Um, so researchers found that the higher levels of financial literacy correlated with less reliance on alternative financial services like that because they realized it was a bad deal. And another reason to focus on financial literacy is to warn you about the dangers of overconfidence. You know, I mean, chances are good that you rate your financial literacy higher than it really is. And overconfidence leads to, to, to you know, pursue risky behaviors and lack of preparedness for retirement. And we see that all the time with investing. People take on a risky portfolio because they're overconfident with their ability mm -hmm. to beat the market or even <clears throat> equal the market. Yep. So the authors really highlight the importance of using a financial professional, 
Um, not relying on Uncle Fred because he might be part of that 93% that couldn't answer these questions either. You know, having someone competent to bounce your ideas off of is an excellent way to make sure you haven't built your retirement security on a shaky foundation. So, you know, having this reality check really is important for all of us, even if, you know, we're in that small minority of investors that couldn't answer uh, or that could answer all six of the financial questions correctly. You still need to, um, to you need to have somebody you can bounce ideas off of. Yeah, and I'll say the, the money doctors obviously believe in this. We do a lot of uh, counseling out in the community, right? And right. We go and talk to young groups. Um, we've actually sponsored uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, curriculum in high schools around the nation for yeah. for five or six years now. So there are um, literacy classes going on um, in high schools. If it's not going on in your high school, you need to go ask why not, because kids need to understand this uh, in high school. They're not being taught. I mean, that's, yeah, that's at the end of the day. That's exactly right. All right. Good, good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah. So Dave Ramsey has seven baby steps um, and I won't go through all of them, but baby step seven uh, is basically after you've paid off your house and you've got the kids through college and you've got retirement, uh, saving 15% emergency fund, you know, where you need it, debt paid off and so forth. So what does it look like for baby step seven? And basically it, it's, it's, it's freedom financially. Um, we do see people in baby step seven that are retiring early. Right. I mean, instead right. of working until 62 or 65, we have people retiring in their 50s because they're on baby step seven. Uh, you're also able to give more. You have more freedom and more flexibility uh, to help out, you know, nonprofits and, and do some cool things for the community. Yeah, absolutely. That's a you know, it's important you get through all those steps and you get to baby step seven because yep. that's success. That's really what success looks like. So it, Dave Ramsey says that you can give and live and give like no one else in baby step seven. So there you go. It's pretty yeah. cool. All right. Good question of the week. All right. And that leads up to our last topic here. And that is three reasons why 2020 may be the greatest giving year ever. Hard to believe during the pandemic. But yeah, this is a good article out of Kiplinger's. Yeah. So their 2019 actually saw a 2% increase in, in giving uh, from the previous year. And uh, that's wonderful news. But as we look at 2020, it's already obviously a year for the ages with everything that's happened. Uh, so the question on many minds is, will it continue uh, the giving during this turmoil? And the answer looks like an emphatic yes. Uh, Fidelity Charitable, um, which is a donor-advised fund, uh, recently reported how donors are responding to the pandemic. And uh, Fidelity examined donor grant making, which basically the money is put into the donor advised fund, and then you can grant it and send it to charities. Right. They looked at it from January through April, and the findings are similar to what they've seen um, within other organizations. And it leaves us you know, very hopeful for what's to come in the rest of the year. It's very positive. Yeah. I mean, despite <laughs> March's you know, plunge in the stock market and the pandemic and everything that's gone on, there's been a 16% increase from the same period last year, John, wow. in the amount of giving from donor-advised funds. And it appears that donors recognize that, you know, the rainy day that they've been waiting for is finally here. And, you know, these charities really need their help. And so they're understanding that, and they're giving now more than ever, you know. So the long-lasting impact of COVID-19 will have on charitable giving is still unknown. We don't know how it's going to go in the future. But this year, yeah, I mean, there's been these – there's really been three catalysts that have helped make 2020 a record year of giving for philanthropic, yep. you know, endeavors. Yeah, and the first one is, um, you know, remember back in 2017, they had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The standard deductions for people increased significantly. I mean, for a yeah. married couple, 
you know, it's $24,000, $25,000 that if you're not giving more than that, you're not getting a tax deduction because you have a very high standard deduction. And a lot of charities feared that the change would reduce the number of taxpayers who itemized and subsequently reduce the incentive for those same people to donate to the charity. But charitable giving rose to its second highest level ever in 2019, a little bit uh, short of 2017's record, but still very positive. And of the various donor types, individual donors were the most generous. So even with the lower tax rates, individuals proved the predictions wrong and still contributed uh, over $300 billion to charitable causes. And uh, individuals weren't the only ones to persevere. Private foundations and these donor-advised funds that we're talking about also gained traction and had significant growth as well. Yeah, you know, because of this tax law changes, people are giving more to donor-advised funds because donor-advised funds have some unique advantages. You know, giving through them um, is a great tool um, but, but it allows you to take an immediate tax deduction for everything you put in there. So you can put it all in there at once, get a big tax deduction right up front. You can exceed the standard deduction at 24000 level or 12000 for a single person. Um, standard deduction, get your deduction, and then you can dole that money out over over years. Yes. Um, and so, you know, the donor advised funds have picked up traction, and now people are using them to, to give more this year. Yeah, and so donor advised funds are booming. I mean, uh, um, you know, the past 15 years, the totals have gone from $40 billion um, up to $121 billion, so 200% increase. And uh, the, the uh, increase in donor advised funds uh, continues to rise even during the pandemic. Um, you know, they've seen grants um, uh, jump 58% just this March and April. So, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, uh, the economy's tough. I have these funds sitting on the side. I'm going to give them to some nonprofits. Um, and so right now, uh, donor advised funds are ideally positioned to help donors um, who have saved money in their accounts for a rainy day like today. So the funds have accumulated in these account holders for many years. Uh, payout rates are continuing to increase and, and more money is going out than is coming in right now. But those rainy day funds are easing the economic downturn pains for a lot of t- you know charities. And you mentioned your church is, has done well. Um, yeah. you know, all the church people that I talk to, I don't hear of any churches that are struggling with contributions. And part of the reason are these donor advised funds, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a huge difference from the the great financial crisis in 2008. As you remember, you know, giving was way down to charities, but not not this time around. And, you know, another reason, though, John, is the COVID stimulus um, incentives um, seem to help a little bit here um, because the CARES Act that was passed earlier this year created a little bit additional motivation to spur donations and philanthropic giving. And it also, um, you know, allowed small business loans to, to go to nonprofits. Um, but, um, you know, one of the most prominent provisions of the CARE Act that did help nonprofits like this is it allowed non-itemizers to take an above-the-line deduction of $300 per person in addition to their standard deduction for 2020 as part of this bill. And so that, that gives a little bit more emphasis to um, to giving. Yeah, and it also changed the amounts someone can give. It used to be 60% of their uh, adjusted gross income. Uh, now it's uh, all the way up to 100%. So, uh, you know, maybe make some impact, not a lot. But, you know, I'll tell you one thing that people should consider is um, appreciated stock, right? There are certain stocks Absolutely. that have done exceptionally well that you ought to consider as um, donating. Yeah, this year is a great year to do that because, yeah, I mean, if you have some of those large growth stocks that have really taken off this year as a result of COVID and, you know, that have benefited from everybody being cooped up in their house, 
Um, this year would be a great year to give those away, you know, um, so you can give them away and get a tax deduction and, uh, you know, get a full tax deduction and get you over that 24,000 mark for the itemized deductions. Yeah. And if you're listening out there and you want more information about donor advised funds, um, we don't offer those at, uh, Richard Young Associates or TD Ameritrade, but we can certainly, uh, help you. There's a couple of vendors out there that a lot of people are familiar with Vanguard and Swab. Uh, that have donor advised funds fidelity as well. So we can help you kind of figure out if it's the right thing for you and your family. In a lot of cases it is. It's a pretty neat concept. Um, gives you some flexibility in the future about giving. Yeah, it's a powerful tool for giving. So we highly recommend you take a look at those if you do a lot of giving. So, um, all right, good topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing of the week, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this has to do with life insurance. Certainly recommend that you that you have some form of insurance. Um, here's here's the prescription is is get a term insurance policy outside of your work. Um, so a mm. lot of times we'll see people have, you know, they come in and they have just the group policy through work, which is right. which is okay. But what happens if you're laid off? Yeah, and it goes away. Of, a lot of people have been laid off this That's year. That's exactly right. So a better, and actually it's better financially, the, the numbers that I've run with companies, if you buy a 20-year term policy, yeah. if you look at the cost of that policy versus your work policy, it's going to save you a tremendous amount of money if you just get the term. Yeah, rather than going 3x on your salary at work, you know, and getting the extra insurance that way. I'd go buy, like you said, a 20-year term policy. Level term. It depends on how old you are, but yeah. Yeah, however long you need, but figure it out. You know, figure out the term that you need and buy one of those, and uh, that way you'll have it, you know, and it'll carry you all the way out to your need for insurance, till your kids are out of college, till you're retired maybe. Um, You know, and you can match up that term for that, and you can have the lowest cost, and you can have the insurance regardless of what happens to your work. Yeah, a general rule of thumb is 10 times your salary. That's, you know, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, but 10 times is usually a pretty good number. Yeah, yeah. All right, great prescription of the week. Okay, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us there, send us your questions, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 